Good morning. Uh, Ethan, I left the Sunday school. Uh, I don't think Kathy got one. Did you get a Sunday school lesson? Kathy needs a. No, in the, on my seat. They're on my seat. Well, open up to First Chronicles in the Old Testament, chapter twenty-one. So let's read uh, verses 1 through 13, and then I'll have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll get into our lesson this morning. The Bible says, And Satan stood up against Israel, and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan. And bring the number of them to me, that I may know it. And Joab answered, The Lord make his people a hundred times so many more as they be. But my lord the king, are they not all my lord's servants? Why then doth my lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's words prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto David. And all they of Israel were a thousand thousand and a hundred thousand men that drew sword. And Judah was four hundred threescore and ten thousand men that drew sword. But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore he smote Israel. And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly, because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. And the Lord spake unto Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Choose thee, either three years of famine, or three months to be destroyed before thy foes, while that the sword of thine enemies overtaketh thee, or else three days the sword of the Lord even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coasts of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies. But let me not fall into the hand of man. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd bless now our Bible study, speak to our hearts in a very real and very powerful way, help us to understand these truths and make application to our hearts, to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So our lesson is living below the baseline. That's the theme to these and uh, how we're experiencing our relationship with the Lord kind of in a very personal way, not so much what people see it, uh, uh, publicly. So just our opening paragraph on our lesson this morning, as long as we're on this earth and battling our flesh, every one of us will have times when we sin. When we do, the Holy Spirit is faithful to convict us and to urge us to confess our sin and restore our relationship with God. At that moment of conviction, we choose between resisting the Holy Spirit in pride or re responding with a heart of repentance. So before we go any further, maybe someone this morning would just give me what their definition is of what is repentance. To repent. Go ahead, Mike. All right, to turn away from. That's a good way to put it. Anybody else? Yes? I feel sorry. There will be sorrow with repentance, but not... Sometimes you can feel sorry about something, but it's kind of like sorry that you got caught. Repentance is sorry, but you want to change. So I guess you're half right. So, But good, good. Do you understand what I mean by that? You know, oh boy, I'm sorry I got caught for robbing the 7-Eleven. <laughs> Repentance is, well, I'm never doing that again because that was really wrong. But so there is sorrow that is involved. And you'll see in David's situation here that there is sorrow on, a, on multi, multiple levels. I think those are, any, anything else? Anybody else want to say anything about repentance? So, so that's kind of the theme with regards to what we're talking about, or part of the theme a resistance, resistance versus repentance. And um, we're going to see what happens here in David's life. The Bible says, look on our handout, Psalm 95, 7 through 8. The Bible says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation." as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. So this is the psalmist looking back historically to when the children of Israel were set free from uh, the bondage of Egypt. And they were in the wilderness of sin, and they had no water, and they began to gripe and to complain to Moses, or about Moses. And um, it, I don't need to turn there, but in, in Ezekiel, or excuse me, in Exodus, it says of this, ref, referring to Psalm 95, because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? In other words, they're saying, we're running out of water. So is God really for us or is God not for us? Where's God? And um, God instructed, and then Moses went to God, and Moses said, God, these people are going to stone me. They're so upset with me. And then he struck the rock, and there was water. But they were doubting and complaining to not only God, but to the man of God. So resistance or repentance. Now, I meant, again, this whole lesson is about living our lives below the baseline, like the foundation, underground. What's, what's taking place? So... Resistance or repentance is not immediately apparent in the life of an individual. And what I mean by that is a Christian can come to church, 
They can wear a suit. They can sing in the choir. They can serve as an usher. They can be a Sunday school teacher. They can be a preacher. And so outwardly, everything looks like everything is fine. But inwardly, inwardly or below the baseline, um, there's unconfessed sin. There's hardened hearts. I, I can think of in my years of pastoring, I can think of preachers who, who, that I knew throughout the years that are no longer in the ministry and they were pastoring churches and there was sin in their lives that they never got that sin right. And then things were found out or they, over a period of time, they just allowed that sin to control their lives and uh, terrible things. Um, which is sad. But let me say this about what happened to David. David is not a young man here in this situation. David is well into his years. This is beyond when David and the, the account of David and Bathsheba. That, that's, that's part of David's history. So the, the point I'm trying to make as we look at this, it does not matter how long you've been a Christian. The reality is sin can infiltrate any of our lives. And how we deal with it when sin infiltrates our life is so important. And that always, and how we deal with it, is taking place at first, not outwardly, but it's got to take place inwardly. Hardened hearts and softened hearts, or both, taking place. We're not going to turn there for sake of time, but if you notice on your handout, I have... Well, actually, let's turn there. Look, look what it says, uh, Ezekiel chapter 13 and verse 10. Keep your finger in First Chronicles because we're going to come back here. But go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 13 and verse 10. Ethan was teaching on uh, Wednesday night in, our, in his series, and I thought as I, he quoted verse 10, and, and then I thought these other verses really fit well with my Sunday school lesson. And, and, and the point I'm going to make here is, you see, repentance and getting things right with God is part of what keeps the foundation of our Christian life together. Look what it says here in Ezekiel 13.10. Because even, or even because they have seduced my people, saying, Peace, peace, and there be no peace. And one built up a wall, and lo, others dabbed it with untempered mortar, saying unto them which dabbed it with untempered mortar, that it, should, it shall fall. There shall be an overflowing shower, and ye, O great hailstones, shall fall, and a stormy wind shall rend it. Lo, when the wall is fallen, shall it not be said unto you, Where is the daubing wherewith you have daubed it? So it's an illustration that Ezekiel is giving. It's a wall that's built. And in those days, when they built walls, they, it's not like today where in between the bricks there's concrete. They would put the brick on top of the brick on top of the brick. In fact, I was just kind of curious when they invented concrete, and they invented concrete in the early 1800s. 
But they would put over the walls, they would smear on the walls the, what, what Ezekiel calls here the mortar. And if the mortar wasn't tempered correctly and, and prepared so it would harden, and I'm not sure what it was made of, I didn't do any research on that, but so if you had, your, like, if you had stone or you had brick, it'd be on the outside, not in between the bricks. When the weather came, it would hit the, um, the, the, the mortar and it would, the mortar would just kind of dissolve. And so the wall would look good, but if a wind came or there was a, any kind of pressure on the wall, it would crumble, it would fall. You understand what I'm saying? It wasn't secure. And it's a great picture if we're not keeping our foundation in our Christian lives right. Um, because it's that which is under the baseline, making sure that we're fulfilling the things of God. And the repentance we're talking about this morning is kind of the mortar or that's holding it all together. Uh, and so be careful of that. And we're going to see it in David's life. Let's go back now to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. So first, first we have David's rebellion. So as I read through this, um, in verses 1 through 4, we see that David is, is provoked by Satan to number Israel, the amount of men that are in Israel. This is David's rebellion. Now, if we took some time, in fact, let's just do this too. Go back to, let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 18. 2 Samuel chapter 18. Because here's David, you might think, well, what, what's wrong with David numbering Israel? Because you see, David had numbered Israel previously. So 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse number, number 1. I don't know if they can put that on the screen or not. It's not part of your notes. But uh, look what it says. If you have your Bibles there, it says, And David numbered the people that were with him, and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. And I don't really need to read any further, just that he sends Joab out here um, as his general. So why would you think that in chapter, in 2 Samuel 18, God wasn't upset that David numbered Israel there, but he is upset that David numbered Israel in chapter 21 of 1 Chronicles. Why? Why, why is he upset? Why would you think he'd be upset? Go ahead, Mike. Samuel, uh, him numbering the people was a kind of organizational method where he, would, he was trying to make charge of his men in like a military aspect, but in um, First Chronicles, I think it's more of a pride thing. He's like, "Oh, how many people do I have?" Right, right on. So in in, in Second Samuel chapter eighteen, it's more like an administrative thing. But what we're reading this morning is a prideful thing. So what is David putting his hope in? He's putting his hope in his army. He's not putting his hope in God. He's putting his hope in the, in the, in the, 
that the army that he's he's putting together there, and uh, so um, now here's another interesting point. Um, back, go, <laughs> I wasn't going to do this, but let's do it anyhow. So, go back to Second Samuel. Second Samuel chapter number twenty-four is a parallel account of this. Second Samuel twenty-four. So in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 1, it says, And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. Okay, just, just keep your finger there and read verse 1 again in chapter 21. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Now go back and look at verse 1 again of chapter 24. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. Now some people said, would, would point this out, and they would say, Well, here's a contradiction in the Bible. Because in 2 Samuel, it seems as if God was the one who provoked David to number Israel. But in 1 Chronicles, it said Satan stood up to provoke David to number Israel. So what would be the answer, do you think, to that? You understand what I'm saying? There's no mention of Satan in verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 24. It just says, and again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them. Go number Israel. In verse 1, it says Satan stood up. Well, those who would attack the Bible say, ah, there's a contradiction in the Bible. So how do you answer that, 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 that question there? Because we believe, do we not as Bible believers, that there are no contradictions in the Bible? Because it's the pure word of God. What do you think? Anybody got an answer? Anybody got a guess? What about you, Bill? You look like you want to say something. Go ahead. And can you give me another example in the Bible? Like in Job, where God allowed Job to be persecuted by Satan. That's the correct answer. So, while it doesn't appear in verse 1 of 2 Samuel that Satan's involved, but that's, Satan cannot do anything unless God gives Satan permission or allows him to do anything. So that's the answer to someone comes to you and says, well, there's a contradiction here in the Bible. All right, go back to First Chronicles if, you, if you're not there. So da David, we find in this particular act, he's in rebellion against God. Have any of you ever been in rebellion against God? We've all been in rebellion against God at one time or another. That's part of our fallen nature. Maybe not to the extreme of, of David here. Um, now, on the back of your handout. Everything, when we sin against God, starts with a thought, a planted thought in our minds. That's how it works. That's why it's so, it's so important that we're careful, we should be careful about the things that we think. So this thought came into David's mind. God allowed Satan to put this thought into David's mind. And um, 
to number Israel. Now, Job's an interesting character. Job, I just got done in my own private devotions reading through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And Job is, or Joab, not Job, Joab is a real uh, illustration. He's a real contradiction. There are some things he seems to do right, and there are other things he just does wrong. So it's like, I, 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 it's kind of interesting. He's back and forth. Sometimes he's loyal, sometimes he's not loyal. Sometimes he's obedient, sometimes he's not. He's very disobedient. But in this instance, Job is, is giving good advice. And the advice that he gives to David is, listen, don't do this. Don't do it. This is wrong. And, um, but David's got this thought in his mind. And maybe David, because of his age and because he's, been, you know, he's walked with the Lord all of these years. Maybe he's finding a, a self-confidence where, like I said earlier, it doesn't matter how, how long you've been a Christian, how short you've been a Christian. Our entire lives until we get to heaven and are with the Lord, we have to be totally dependent upon the Lord. And David here is kind of leaving the Lord out of the equation, almost pushing the Lord out of the equation. Because David knew, he knew what was right and what was wrong. Doesn't that happen in our own lives when, when sin presents itself? There's like, a, I've always looked at it like a, there's a crossroads. We've got to decide, are we going to follow the Lord or not follow the Lord? Are we going to do what's right, what's biblical, or are we going to do what's unbiblical? And Unfortunately for David, verse 4, that word nevertheless, not only did the nevertheless creep into David's life, but it creeps into your life and it creeps into my life. Despite knowing what's right and despite knowing what's wrong, there's a nevertheless. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm just going to do my own thing. I know what God's word says, but nevertheless, I'm just going to do my own thing. Well, that's what happened to David. He's in rebellion against God. But those thoughts, they, they some creep into our minds. Probably all of you, if not most of you, are at some point or at some time, you're on the Internet. The Internet just bombards us with thoughts. The explosion in our country of pornography Here's a reality that in a group this size, in a, and this is not a large group, but from all the studies done, in a group this size, there are people here this morning who are involved in some form of watching pornography. That's just a fact. It's destroying people's lives. It's destroying homes. It's destroying marriages. And it's displeasing. Most of all, it's displeasing to the Lord. Bombarded, bombarded, bombarded. The entertainment industry. The hypocrisy of the entertainment industry is unbelievable. The same actors and actresses who speak out against some of these sexual in, in, innuendos and things that happen are the same ones making entertainment that promote it. 
but it's thoughts that are planted. And for men, men are very sight-oriented, more so than women. So a man is going to be, it's just the way that God built you, a man is going to be drawn into that quicker. This may sound silly, but I'll tell you what, I, I learned this, I, was, I think my first or second year I was a Christian, Pastor Ainsworth, there was no internet then. If you wanted to, if you wanted to look at pornography, you had to go buy it. But he used to say to the men, he'd say, listen, in the summer, if you're going down the road and you see a young woman scantily dressed on the left side of the road, you look to the right side of the road. Not very, not very deep. <laughs> but you know what? I just put that into practice. And what's true about the road is true about the internet. It's true about the television. There's buttons on your computer, by the way, that says... You hit the button and you're off the site. Right? And 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 but but look at look on your handout, 2 Corinthians 10, 5 through 6. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Casting down, being prepared. Here's one. I, I've given this example before. I hope my wife doesn't get mad at me. But when we were just, just uh, when we were young and uh, she would be home during the day, uh, this will really date us. I don't know if there's still on. There were soap operas on. And I could tell when I came home if she was watching the soap operas. Well, how could you tell? Because she, because now, I was never into this, but I, I guess the, you, you, you learned who the characters were and you followed them. So if your character got angry at somebody, my wife would take it out on me. <laughs> like, I was like, what, what was the deal here? And, um, but it's thought-induced. It's thought-induced. One of the reasons as young Christians that uh, we were very involved in, in partying, very involved in, uh, in certain types of music. And one of the reasons that we just took all of the secular music. Now, let me just say this. I listen to some secular music now, but I was so controlled by secular music when I was a young person that I took, we took all, we had, dating us, we had over 300 albums. We trashed them, threw them in the trash. Now, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you not to do it, but I'm not telling you to do that. But for us, we were so controlled by secular music and the message of it that we just took it right out of our lives. Now, do I listen to some secular music today? Yeah, I do. But all of these things in your life, you have to be ready for the message that's coming because... Satan wants to provoke you to sin against God. And so, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And, and we have a knowledge of God. This is the knowledge of God right here. So it's not like we have to guess, but we have to be prepared. So what happens? 
the thoughts are planted, and like David, there's a participation in sin. So look again at verses 3 and 4. And Joab answered, The Lord make his people a hundred times so many more as they be. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then doth my Lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's words prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. So Joab was ordered to do this. And so he went ahead and he did it, despite the fact that he tried to convince David, David, you shouldn't do this. David was not ready for whatever reason. And he succumbed. James 1, 13 through 15 on your handout. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. You'd think David would have got this by now. I mean, David would have... I mean, that was David's problem with Bathsheba. In fact, Pastor Ethan preached on this a little over a year ago. It was really, really good. I'd never thought of it. David, a man after God's own heart, David had a woman problem. You study the life of David. And he had a problem with women. And, um, and I began to think about that when he preached that. And I began to plug together all the instances in David's life. And all the different women. And David, that was a weakness in David's life. And David, you think by now, David would be careful of the things he thought. But below the surface, there was a root of pride in David's life that it was, was, was rising to the top. Now, that's all the bad news. So in, in verses 5 down through, we're not going to read it for sake of time, but in verses 5 down through, um, well, I think verse 7 or verse uh, 6, Joab goes out and he puts together the numbers. Verse 7 now, and God was displeased with this thing, therefore he smote Israel. And now in verse 8, we begin to see David getting this issue right. Now, here's the good news, too. I've given you all the bad news about sin and different. I've just given you a couple of examples. But the good news is that God is a merciful God and God is a loving God. And God speaks to our hearts and puts us at this place where now we, the, the sin that is in our lives that can so easily beset us, God, by, by way of the Holy Spirit, brings conviction. Speaks to our heart, but then what we have to do is we either resist or we repent. We get it right. Verse 8 says, And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly, because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. David came to understand he had made a terrible, terrible mistake. And now it begins to the acknowledgement of his sin. Again, look on your handout or on the screen. This is the parallel account in 2 Samuel. And David's heart, it says, smote him after that he had numbered the people. 
I don't know about you, but there's been some times in my life where I've said something or done some things and, and God smote my heart. He says, and you knew instantly, ah, this was wrong. I shouldn't have done this. And while that's an unpleasant moment, it's pleasant in the sense that God is speaking to my heart. And whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. It's a good thing. It's a good, and, and, and that's how it works. But his heart, it smote him. And he begins to acknowledge his sin. And that's so important that we acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge when God speaks to our heart and uh, deals with our hearts and what's going on. That's all happening below the baseline. And you know when that may happen? That may happen when you open your, that may happen at the moment that you're, you've sinned. It, it, it may be a little bit later. It may be that you've done something, thought something, said something, and as you're in your devotions at home, in your prayer life, God begins to speak to your heart. It may be that you did commit an act of sin and you just hardened yourself against it, but now God begins to soften your heart and to teach you and tell you it's just wrong. It may be in your private prayer life or your private devotional life. It may be as one of, you're sitting under preaching or teaching of God's word. It may be when you're singing a hymn or listening to, to godly music. It may be in any moment at any time, but it's God dealing with you. And David's acknowledging this. And now there are consequences. There are always consequences for sin. Always. So the consequences, again, for sake of time, we're, we're running out of time, but the consequences are either, and, and God says through, through Gad, he says to David, you can choose, choose one of these three. You've got three years of famine. You've got three months to be destroyed before your enemies, your foes. Or three days, the sword of the Lord. Pestilence will afflict the country. Well, David around says, wait a minute, why, why is it that the people in the country have to be afflicted? I'm the one that sinned. But that's the far-reaching consequences, isn't it, of sin? It's just not you. But there are many times sin afflicts those that are around you. I mentioned earlier of a pastors that I've known. I can tell you of a church that we helped many, many years ago, and the pastor ran off with a woman in that church. This is over 20 years ago. That church is still there, but it has never recovered. It is, even now, barely staying open. It was in a small town, and the reputation unfortunately, was just tainted. There's always consequences. You men who are fathers or grandfathers, whatever sin enters into your life, you have wives, children, grandchildren, 
All of that can be affected. Mother's the same. Relationships that are broken. But David here, so he accepts, he says, verse 13, let me now fall into the hand of the Lord for great are his mercies. Well, I don't want to fall into the hand of men, he says, because David knew enough about men. He didn't want to do that or famine. But whatever God decides and however God's going to deal with me, no blame shifting. We live in a culture today, don't we, of everybody wants to blame their sin on something or someone else. No blame shifting, no finger pointing. And David accepts, David accepts the consequences. And again, in Hebrews, I'm not there on your handout, just at the very end, especially the last sentence, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Listen, sin, sin is costly. It costs us time and lives. It can cost us finances. But David's going to get this right. And then again, because we're out of time, 70,000. Wow, 70,000 men, it says in verse 14. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel. There fell 70,000 men. Think of the consequences of those men. It's not just 70,000 men who died. How many of those men were married? How many widows? And a widow in Israel was in a very difficult place. How many children now lost their fathers? So that's, that's why repentance and getting things right with God is so important. Or keeping our being, keep casting down our imaginations, because Satan wants to destroy. And so the instruction then, again, the very last part of this chapter is that David now is to build an altar. Uh, in verse 17, it says, And David said unto God, It is not I that commanded the people, or is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, meaning these other people, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be on me and on my father's house. Again, no blame shifting. This is my fault, but not on the people. And then the instruction is given that David should build an altar. And David goes to a man by the name of Ornan. And he asks to purchase. He asks to purchase this piece of property where he could build the altar. And uh, look at verse 23. Ornan said to David, Take it to thee and let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. So Ornan says, he's very benevolent of him. Go ahead, David, you can have this piece of property. And he said in verse 23, listen, I'll give you the oxen for the burnt offering. I'll give you the instruments for wood. I'll give you the meat. I'll give it all. David said to Ornad, nay, but I will verily buy it for the full price, for I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without a cost. And so David gave to Ornan for the place 600 shekels of gold. So he builds the altar there. He sacrifices unto the Lord. Your altar and my altar is when we come before the Lord and we confess our sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's our altar. 
That's where we go. That's living below the baseline, making sure that these things are right with God. And this is an interesting location because this is the same location where Abraham offered up Isaac, or was going to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. This would be the same. This would be the same location where eventually the temple would be built. This is an important place. And wherever you get it right with God, that's an important place. Because there's sin in our lives that will so easily beset us, but yet God is merciful and gracious to forgive us of our sin if we'll just get it right with him. Don't push it off. Well, I know it was wrong. I'll just move on. No, get it right with God. There even may be things, this happens to me, because Satan attacked this way, there may be things that have happened or you participated in years ago. And all of a sudden they pop into your mind. And I say, oh, Lord, I wish I had not done that. I'm so sorry. It's all part of living below the baseline. It's all that part of your Christian life that nobody sees. It's between you and it's between God. And it's what keeps the mortar strong in your foundation. Let's pray. Father, bless the morning worship service, the music, the message. Bless the giving, the offering. Just to bless our day. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.